Come to the scripture. Turn, please, uh, to Mark and chapter 10. Gospel according to Mark and uh, chapter 10, please. And as we come to this passage, let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, now we come to your word, uh, which you say is to be a lamp to our feet, a light for our eyes. It, it brings grace. It grants to us uh, wisdom and strength to live. And so we pray, God, that it would do just that uh, for us uh, today. Uh, Holy Spirit, please bring all that's here to light for us. We may hear it, understand it, believe it, and live accordingly. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. And as he was setting out on his journey, that is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but, but Jesus said to them again, children, how, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are the first will be the last and the last first. Then we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's a long passage. I won't get to everything. But we've been talking about uh, encounters with, with, with Jesus. You might remember that uh, the very first Sunday as we began to think like this, we uh, met this man, Simeon, who encountered the infant, the baby, Jesus. And among other things, he says, said that through him, the hearts of many will be revealed. And that is to say, when we encounter Jesus, our hearts are revealed. Our hearts are revealed what we think about God. Hearts are revealed what we think about ourselves. And so we wanted to look through the scripture, the gospels, and see various encounters with Jesus and, and how... How, how, how people responded. That is to say how their hearts were revealed 
always looking, asking the question, how are our hearts being revealed by this encounter with Jesus? We've looked at a number, Nathaniel, for instance, we looked at Nicodemus, and that was one where we asked the question, uh, after encountering Jesus, is what is what is revealed in your heart life, this spiritual life, this new life, this new birth. And, and, and you can know if it is because if it is, you've responded in repentance and faith. Uh, response to Jesus. What's revealed in your heart? Is it life? Is it really life? And, and then you might remember uh, it was it was at the this uh, this wedding in Cana of Galilee where Jesus went. And, 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 and after encountering Jesus at that wedding, after encountering Jesus, the question is, is what's revealed in your heart? Is it joy? Because it's, it's to be joy that when we encountered Jesus, he came to bring this great new wine, this great uh, joy, if you will, uh, for us. Then, then we met this woman at the well, also, and, and, and remember her, when she encountered Jesus, it was a spiritual thirst that she had within her that was revealed. But also then what was revealed in her that Jesus had met that thirst with this living water. That's the question for us. Is that true for us? When we encounter Jesus, do we know this spiritual thirst? And then also do we see that he's the one who, who, who quenches that thirst? And, and, and are we satisfied then when we meet uh, with uh, Jesus? Peter. Uh, met Jesus when he was fishing and his sin was revealed, but also this great call. Is that how we know Jesus as well? Then last Sunday, we considered this sinful woman at Simon's house who encountered Jesus. And what was revealed in her was love. And that's the question for us. When we encounter Jesus, uh, do we love him? Now, this encounter today with this rich young man, or as Luke puts it, this rich young ruler, uh, as a, an interesting response to Jesus, one, one that we have to scratch our heads at, because he goes away sad when, 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 when he meets Jesus, what's revealed in his heart is actually sadness. And so that's the question for us. When we encounter Jesus like he encountered Jesus, what happens to us? Uh, do we, as he did, go away sad, or is there something else? Is there another response? That comes with with such an encounter. Who is this man? This man that encounters Jesus. We realize he's rich and exceedingly great wealth. Luke says that he's a ruler, so he had, must have had some kind of authority. We don't know where or how, but at least we see that he was a person of status. Uh, he was uh, religiously aware. He knew the law. Jesus presumed that he knew uh, the commandments, and he, he did. He was respectful. He comes to Jesus and he kneels. He's interested. Uh, we see that he runs to Jesus. He really wants to see him. Uh, he's moral. He knows right from wrong. He even says he's obeyed all these commandments. And, and he's spiritual in the sense that he's asking the question. He's asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the way Jesus understands him is, yes, he wants to live forever, if you will. He wants to have this eternal life. But Jesus uh, uh, recognizes that he's asking also about entering the kingdom of God. Verse 23 and then verse 24 and verse 25. Jesus relates eternal life to the kingdom of God. That is to say... 
When we've entered the kingdom of God, we've entered this rule of Jesus, the king. Jesus, who is, is the one who's conquered sin and death. And, and, and we, we live under his rule consciously and even joyfully. Uh, this kingdom of God. And that, you see, is eternal life. To live in the kingdom of God. And not only that, we, we see that Peter refers to all of this as being saved, that is being rescued, that the king comes and actually rescues, rescues us, conquers uh, sin and, and death. And so that's the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's similar to the question that everybody's asking today, which is, how do I not die? Right? How do I keep, how do I keep from dying? Now, that's a good question. And there's, there's some things we can do uh, to not die. We wash our hands, we do social distancing, and we're not holding worship, and all those kinds of things, right? Because, because we're trying not to die. And, 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 and there's even another question, is how can I help others not to die? That's a good one. But, but we have to add to that question, how do I not die right now? Because we know we're going to die. In fact, if we ask the question, how can I ultimately not die? The answer is, there's nothing you can do not to physically die. Now, the the other way of looking at that question is, how can I live then? Well, that's a good question too. There's lots of good things that we can do to live right now. But the question, how can we live eternally? And let me say this, there's nothing you can really do for that either. And that's what he's going to find out, this rich young ruler. He's going to find out that he's nothing he can really do. But keep this in your mind as we go through this. There is something that someone has done. Bear that in mind. Now, now why all this emphasis on doing? He says, what must I do to inherit uh, e- e- eternal life? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? Because you would get it from this guy because he seems like a doer, right? He seems really like a doer. He's he'd done all this, and so he's been very successful uh, in all of his, all of his doing. Um, so it makes great sense that he would think that eternal life must somehow be wrapped up in doing because this life is so wrapped up in doing. He has been uh, an achiever. He seems... Uh, very uh, self-assured in various ways. What we don't know from the text is why is he asking this? I mean, he seems like life is really good for him. So life right now is 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 really good. So 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 perhaps he's thinking it's likely that I haven't achieved, I haven't done enough for eternal life. I've got this life pretty well figured out. I've got it pretty well figured out. I've all the stuff I need. I've got status and position and wealth and all that. But but what I what I wonder about is what after? What's next? Do I have enough for that? Have I done enough? And that's always the insecurity that comes with being an achiever, isn't it? It's always the insecurity of being a doer. Have I done enough? Have I achieved enough? Do I have enough? And 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 that's that's seems like. That's where he is at this point in time. And, and why he comes to Jesus with this question, again, the text doesn't really 
doesn't really say explicitly. Uh, perhaps he simply wants Jesus to affirm him and say, you've done enough. It's okay. It's really good. Holy cow. You're wealthy. You, 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 you've obeyed the law. So maybe he thinks that he'll be affirmed by Jesus and that might really help him. He asked Jesus, it appears, because for him, he understands Jesus to be a, a good teacher. That makes sense. I mean, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was teaching. People were following him. Uh, They said he had great authority. His words had great authority, more authority than any other teacher of the day. And so it would make sense that he'd go to Jesus and ask, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But then Jesus kind of reacts in a way, at least as I read this passage. And he stops them short and he says, why do you call me good? And I'm thinking... Jesus, basically, he's just saying hi. You know, excuse me, I have a question for you. But Jesus doesn't let it go. He begins to say, he says, why do you call me good? And you get the sense that he's, he's beginning to test this man. Because Jesus says, only God is good. Now, he should have known that. I mean, because in the Old Testament, this idea of good is only related to God in this way. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And that, that should have been known to him, that, 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 that good is only attached, really, to God. But maybe there's more to it. Jesus is saying, you came to me because I'm good. Only God is good. Therefore, I'm God. But not only that. If only God is good, are you really good? If only God is good, are are you really good? And and are you really good enough, if you will, for God? Uh, That's the question. We remember a few weeks ago when Peter was in the presence of Jesus. What happened to to Peter? He, He said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I see your glory. I see your greatness. I see you, Jesus. And, and then all of a sudden, Peter sees his, his, his sin, therefore, when he sees the, the goodness, the glory of Jesus. Somehow, this man could be in the presence of Jesus and not have that reaction. Why do you call me? Why do you call me good? Maybe that should have been his first clue that something more profound was going to happen here than he ever imagined. And then Jesus uh, begins to quiz him in a sense. Um, he says, do you know the commandments? Or he doesn't quite put it that way. He lists out the commandments for him. And uh, he says, you know them, you know these commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and, and, and your mother. The sense in which Jesus is saying, okay, this is, this is good according to God anyway, so uh, you know these. And then the man says something astounding in the presence of Jesus. He says, I've done all of those since I was a kid. And, and, and I at least read that and I begin to scratch my head. I, I get that there's a certain external goodness that, 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 that can be true of us. We can obey in a, in a certain way. But, but, but I think, really? You, you can say that? You can actually say that to Jesus? Whoever else he is, if you just think he's a good teacher, really? You're going to say, yes, I've, I've done, kept these. 
from my from my youth. But, but you know, there's something about these commandments. First of all, Jesus doesn't list them all. He only lists if we're numbering the Ten Commandments five through nine. And we know that they're even bigger than just don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and so forth. But there's also another aspect to them as well. When, 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 when the scripture says that we're not supposed to murder, it, it, it also means that we're supposed to do everything we can to make life flourish, to, to really bring life. Don't kill, but not only that, but, but do all you can to enhance life. Not only don't lie, but be truthful. Not only don't steal, but, but be generous. Not only don't commit adultery, but be loving and gracious in your relationship with your spouse, you see. Be a good husband, be a good wife. Not just don't be sexually unfaithful. So you begin to wonder, really, man, really, you do understand them. And then, interestingly, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't mention number 10, nor one through four. Number 10 is you shouldn't covet. That's the one you remember if you're a reader of the New Testament that the Apostle Paul stumbled over. It it's basically uh, says that all this obedience to these commandments isn't just something that we do. It's something that comes from the heart. It's something that we desire to do. And we desire to obey them. And it comes from the heart. Jesus would be very explicit about this when he preached what we call the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, he, he said, said yeah, it's right, you shouldn't murder, but you shouldn't really be angry with each other. Murder starts there. So if you've been angry, oh, you've broken the commandments. It isn't that you shouldn't just be sexually unfaithful, commit adultery. It means that you shouldn't lust after another, right? It isn't that you shouldn't just lie, not say that which is false, but you should not have slanderous thoughts in your head, lying thoughts in your mind. It's it's really a matter of the heart. And when we dig deeper like that, you have to wonder. I begin to think, hey, buddy, I think you're in trouble. I think you think more highly of yourself than probably you ought. And then, of course, Jesus doesn't get through to one through four. He doesn't say that you'd have no other gods before the true and living God and that you're to worship the true and living God rightly and correctly and not take his name in vain and, and honor him in your worship and in your life with all of your time. Uh, he doesn't even mention that. You remember, Jesus would ultimately summarize the law, um, not in an utterly new way, when he would say that you can summarize all of this and love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The real question to this man is, do you love? Do you really, really, really love your neighbor? Are you doing, obeying all of these commandments because you love your neighbor? Or just because they're the right thing to do? Or just because they make you look better? Or just because they make you feel better about yourself? Or because you think you're achieving something through them, even eternal life? And do you really love God? Are you obeying these things because they come from God? 
Are you obeying these things because you know that by obeying them you please God? Not to get something from him, but, but just so that he'll be delighted. And so that he'll look upon your life and see his own glory. Is, is, that, is that it? Is that what you do? Because you love him? Or because is there another, is there another reason there? We know at the end of the day he went away sad, sorrowful, disheartened, it said. And so we wonder what's really going on. Well, why would he go away like that? Well, the scripture said that Jesus looked at him and, and loved him. We mustn't miss that at all. It's only in uh, Mark's account that we see that expression. Uh, it isn't that it wasn't there. It's just the others didn't put it for whatever reason. But Mark did. And so you get the picture here. And, and get the picture that Jesus didn't say anything. Like he didn't say, I love you. He just looked upon him and loved him. Somehow could see it. And Jesus loved him. So what he's about to say, what Jesus is about to say, isn't some kind of cruel and unusual test. He isn't saying this to be punitive. He's saying you have a lot of stuff, so if you want to follow me, you've got to get rid of it. Because, because I, I can't stand that you have that much stuff. He, he loves him. He says, listen, this is the most important thing for you. I couldn't tell you anything better. I couldn't tell you anything more loving than this. In a sense, he's saying, if you cling to all that, you'll never have eternal life. And it isn't because some people who have eternal life can't have that in this life. I just know you. And I know you so well. But if you cling to that, you'll never live. You won't live here, but you certainly won't live on. And when he heard that, rather than encourage him, rather than bring him joy, rather than bring life to him, he goes away. He goes away sad. And that's really the issue here, isn't it? Why is that? Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just say, trust me? I mean, Jesus said that to a lot of people a lot of times when they would come to him, and they would want to know about God or, or eternal life or that sort of thing. He would put it in the context of believing in me and trusting me. And, and, and so you wonder, why didn't he just look at the man and say, if you want eternal life, believe in me, trust me. Well, of course, he did say that. That's exactly what he said. Because when we trust Jesus, it means we trust nothing else. And so what Jesus was just beginning on this whole process of trust. He say, I know what you're presently trusting in. I know, I know what's presently bringing you life. At least you think it's bringing you life. I, I know that already. And so what I have to get you to think about, what I have to get you to do is, is to stop trusting in all that. And rather than trust in, in me. That's the way Jesus always did it. Turn to Matthew and chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Forgive me, but I'm just thinking about people watching this, thinking 
Somebody just said to their little kid, go get the Bible. Uh, I'll give you a minute. Matthew 10, verse 37. And Jesus is saying, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You get it? Jesus is saying, listen, I am God to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. So, rich man, if you say you love your neighbor, then sell all that you have and give it to the poor. If you say that you love God, follow me. And Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't love our father and mothers. In fact, he'll give a command that we're to love our parents. He isn't, isn't saying that we shouldn't love our children. We certainly should. What's he saying? He's saying that we're not in the same category. We're not in the same box. We're not on the same page. But you're to love them because you love me. You're to love them because, because I've commanded you to love them. And, and you should love them because you're reflecting me. That's why. So you mustn't love them and forget about me. You can only love them if you really love me. That's what he's saying. Then in, in Luke, in chapter 9, uh, on another occasion, uh, Jesus uh, puts it like this, verse 57. He says, they were going along the road. Someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and holes and Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, I, I get it, all these things are important in life, but, but you really need to understand who I am and what it really means to follow me. You can't follow those others. You can't trust all those others. You need to come and follow me. That's precisely what he's saying to this uh, rich man. Uh, one commentator put it like this. He said, it's not a matter of the addition of one more act of religious piety that is sell all your stuff. But the subtract, subtraction of all things that, were, that, that are standing in the way of following Jesus. So it's not a matter of the adoption of one more act of religious piety. It's the subtraction of all things that are standing in the way of following Jesus. So this is in, in, in your way. This is where you, you have your life. This is your trust. This is what brings you status and security and position and all of that. All the things that you think are real life. But they're not. And as long as you cling to them, you'll never be able to have life because to have life, you must cling to me. And so he was just saying, get rid of all that and then come, you see, and follow, follow me. Notice what Jesus is promising. He's saying, do all that and you'll have treasure in heaven. 
treasure in heaven. There's a sense in which Jesus is saying it's utterly illogical. It's a bad deal. It's utterly illogical if you cling to that and miss the treasure that's in heaven. The treasure in heaven is so much greater than anything you can imagine. In fact, that's the very eternal life that you're asking about. In Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 19, Jesus puts it like this. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, so the treasure in heaven is of such great worth and value. And in fact, it never ever loses its value. Not like our present financial situation where things seem to lose their value pretty quickly. He says, this never, ever loses its value. What are these treasures in heaven? Forgiveness. Reconciliation with God. Adoption into his family. I mean, do you even ponder that, what it means to be a real child of God? To know that God is your father, the perfect father, perhaps not at all like your earthly father, but the perfect father? The one you can always go to, the one that always listens, the one who trains up and disciplines always perfectly, always in, in the right way, so that you know that whatever's happening even in your life comes from the hand of God who is your father. Therefore, you can take it as instruction, you can take it as training. You know that he has a good intention for this, you really do, and you can trust him that even though it's difficult at the moment, that, 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 that he'll, he'll bless you ultimately through it and because of it. That's a treasure. And that's a treasure that nothing we have can really buy. It's a, it's a gift. Righteousness. The very righteousness of Christ given to us. His spirit, you see. Put within us even now so that we can live in such a way that's real life. His spirit to who guides us and directs us and helps us and gifts us and all of that. Treasures in heaven and eternal life. Jesus said, listen, the money that you have, the doing that you're doing, can't ever be enough in order to purchase, in order to have have that. So, So really, sell it. Give it to people who it can help in this moment and then come and come and follow me. For others, it might not be money. Uh, it might be intellect. It might be our own thoughts. I'm going to cling to my own thoughts. These thoughts about God and life and who I am, this is, these, these thoughts are the thoughts that, that help me cope with, with life. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Sell those thoughts. Come and follow me. Think like me. Because the thoughts that I have, the understanding that I have, uh, that's the treasure of heaven. That's real, real life, you see. Oh, you're trusting your own goodness and your own merit. Oh, I'm good enough. I, 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 can, I, I can really do this. Just tell me what to do, Jesus, and, and, and I'll be fine. I'll be able to do it. And, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 don't cling to your own abilities. Don't cling to your own goodness. Don't cling to your own merit. Uh, sell all that. 
come and trust me, come and follow, follow me. You see, that's your passions. You say, no, my passions are great passions, what I love and what, what I desire and what really moves me. And Jesus says, no, 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 your passions, sell them and come and follow me. And, and my passions will become your passions. And that's a great treasure. That's a treasure that nothing can take away because those are real passions. That's, you see, uh, real, real life. Not an empty promise at all. The chilling statement of Jesus, one of them, what does it profit a person? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Jesus saying, listen, you can have the whole world, but that's not enough. To buy eternal life for your soul. So, so don't trust in the whole world and all that you could possibly have. No, Jesus is always saying, uh, trust, trust me. It gets very personal at this point. We meet Jesus. Our treasures are revealed. We see our lives in light of him. Our treasures are revealed. That's what's happening here. Uh, for Peter, he saw his sin right away uh, uh, in the presence of Jesus. It took a while for this, for this man. He saw what he really, really treasured. And he knew he treasured his possessions even over, even over Jesus. And it's fascinating that he went away sad. I, I would think he'd, he'd hear Jesus and he'd, he'd see his possessions. And he would say, uh, okay, you want me to sell all of that and follow you? That's life. Nah, I'm going to keep my possessions. You think he would have left content. You think he would have left peaceful. You'd think he'd left going, I'm okay. I heard the deal from Jesus. I like what I have better. I'm all right with that. But he didn't. Still somehow this was disturbing to him. He was kind of caught in what's known um, in the literature, in literature as the monkey trap. Where there's a banana or a nut in a jar and the monkey comes and he sees it. So he puts his arm and his hand down and he grabs a hold of it. But once he makes a fist of whatever is in there, he can't get out. And the only way he can get out is by dropping it. But he doesn't want to drop it. And he's stuck. There. Just because of the nature of the monkey, it's an impossible situation for him. He wants it, he has it, but it's unsatisfying. He's sad in that moment. The rich young man is, is, is sort of like that. He sees his stuff. And he grabs a hold of it, but, but then he knows he's missing what Jesus is promising, but he, but, he, but he can't let go of it. You see, when he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gave him something impossible for him. And he did that because he loved him. And he says, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. This is impossible. For you. In fact, that's how this story moves on. Jesus 
looks at his disciples, verse 23, and says, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. They were amazed because he was a guy who had obeyed these commandments. And he was a guy who was rich. So they thought blessed by God. So, so if he can't enter the kingdom of God, who can? And, and, uh, but Jesus said, again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And, and you say, Jesus, that's, that sounds silly. That can't happen. I mean, I know what a needle looks like, and I know what the eye of a needle looks like, and I know what a camel looks like. I mean, uh, and Jesus, you've got it. It's exactly what I'm saying. In fact, his disciples understood it exactly that way as well. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus then gives the real answer with man. It's impossible, but not with God. We see it in this rich man. It was impossible for him to let it go. But Jesus said, no, no, no. It's possible with God to enable him to let it go. It was impossible for him to really trust Jesus and not trust his stuff and his possessions and his status and all of that. It was impossible for him. But it wasn't impossible for God to enable him to do it. That's the problem, isn't it, with sin? How does Jesus put it? He says, if you, if you sin, what, John eight thirty two. If you sin, you're a slave to sin. You're enslaved to it. And it, it's sin that ultimately causes us working in us to say no to God. And so if, if that's the case, then you see, we're, we're stuck. We're enslaved in this. How does the apostle put it in Romans and chapter 8? In verse 7, he says, For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. It, 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 it can't. And so when the, the man comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is saying, there isn't anything you can do. I'm asking you if you obeyed the law and you're going to say you did, but you didn't. I'm going to show that to you that you don't really love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you really don't love your neighbor as yourself. Not really. Not, 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 at, not as the law really, really, really says in its, all its depth, depth. To really love like that. And, and, and so you really, you really can't. It's, 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 it's impossible for you. But, but it's not impossible for God. See, that's the very point of it. Jesus comes and does what's impossible for us. And he does it for us. So what's impossible for us is to obey the law. It's not impossible for him. So he obeys it as us, for us. It's impossible for us to pay the full penalty for our sin and live. Because the penalty for our sin is death. Once we pay it, we're dead. Spiritually, eternally. But it's not impossible for Jesus. He comes and, 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 and he pays it. And not only that. 
But it's impossible for us to change our own hearts. But it isn't impossible for God to change our hearts. And to give us new life. That's why Nicodemus is, is, is so important for us. That encounter that he had with Jesus. And, and Jesus said, in order to see, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That wasn't a commandment. It was a statement of fact. We know by the very nature of the metaphor that we, we can't give birth to ourselves. The unborn has nothing to do with his or her own conception, right? That's outside of that person who's born. That's out, outside of that person's purview. We literally can't conceive it. We can't conceive ourselves. Someone else conceives. So that's the whole idea about being born. And, and the great news with Nicodemus uh, and Jesus is Jesus is saying, listen, there's hope. Because the Spirit of God is such that the Spirit of God can come upon you and change your heart and give you life so that you can, you can really believe what's impossible for you is possible with God. Not only for the rich, but for the poor, for anyone, you see. That should give us great hope. You see. And just like with Nicodemus, how do we know that's taken place? We know that's taken place when we really see it and we can repent. We can look at all the stuff and all the people and all whatever it is in which we trust for life. And we can look at that and we go, I see it. I know that really isn't it. And we sell it. We take our hands off it and we see Jesus and we say, I'll trust in, 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 in you. There really is nothing I can do to inherit eternal life. The good news is there isn't anything I need to do to inherit eternal life. Because Jesus, you already, you already did it. Now I didn't read a passage that comes right before this one. And, um, it's in, in, in verse 13 of Mark 10. And it's this. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Uh, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. He's saying it doesn't belong to people like this accomplished man who seems to have everything. It belongs to these children who seem to have nothing. They have no money. They have no status. They can't speak for themselves. There they are. And he said, belongs to such as these. And he wasn't saying belongs to children because they're innocent, because we all know that isn't true. It's because they're utterly dependent. And they simply receive it. They do absolutely nothing. They just simply receive it. And it's the poor in spirit to whom the kingdom of God is given. To those who have nothing. But simply come and believe, rest in what has been done. This expression that Jesus loved him. I get this sense that Jesus looked at him and he said, this is why I've come. I've come because you human beings, you trust in all this other stuff and you think that will bring you, you life. And it's impossible for you to break that bondage. So that's why I've come. And so the scripture says that it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of God's love. 
God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He looked at you and loved you and said, stop trusting all of that. Sell it, whatever you're trusting in, and come and trust, come follow me. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he gave his son. Why? Because it was impossible for us to break this bondage of sin and to pay its penalty. But it wasn't impossible with God. So this is love. Not that he loved us. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin in the days in which we live. There's a lot we can do right now not to die. But there isn't anything we can do not to ever die. In the days in which we live, there's lots that we can do to live now. But there isn't anything we can do to have eternal life. But here's the good news. It's already been done. And it's already been done by Jesus. And so he looks at us and loves us and says, whatever else you're trusting in, sell it. Come follow me. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, we we pray that you would enable us to believe. For those who find themselves in this bondage, unable to believe, Father, work in them in such a way that you'll enable them to believe. Even cause them to call out to you and say, help my unbelief. Help me to believe. Enable me to believe. And and it's your dependence at that point. So please, I pray, Father, that you would call many in these days to believe. Show each of us, even those of us who believe, where we still trust in that which isn't Jesus. And to help us to sell it, get rid of it. And to trust in him alone. And on this morning, Father, we come to pray this prayer that our Lord Jesus has given to us, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together and uh, sing together the doxology after I give you this benediction that is from God. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence and that with great joy. To only wise God and Savior Jesus Christ, to be glory, dominion, majesty, and power, both now and always. And together let us sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy